Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 210. Yeah! Yeah! I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, joined by... Marvel.com senior editor Ben Morse, joined by nobody but an empty seat. Yeah. Where intern Tucker just ran off from. Yeah, he, he went to go interview a band, the name of which he did not know. Nope. Uh, it's kind of standard operating procedure around here. Yeah. We learn on the fly. Yeah, it's great. It's like when we do Marvel Live at New York Comic Con and, you know, Blake just tells me the name of the show. And then I try to get the people who I'm interviewing to tell me as much about it as they can <laughs> as we go. Hey, tell me about Colony. Yeah. Sir? The Mr. best. Mr. From Lost? The best. Actually, we were watching. Um, my wife and I were watching TV last night, and an ad came on for the librarians. And she goes, oh, wasn't that the uh, show that you asked if they were interested in magic on on your show? I go, no, that was the magicians. <laughs> The librarians, the <laughs> librarians, librarians are more into books and such. You know, yeah. that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but if you are just joining us or if you're here every week, this is the official Marvel podcast of all news, new releases, comics, movies, video games, toys, other podcasts. Yeah. The books. What, a, what other podcasts? The women of Marvel sometimes will mention them. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I think that's bad. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go through all the new comics out this week from print and digital collections. We're going to give you guys some news. Yeah. And this week in the Unlimited Reading Club, it's time for Tomb of Dracula. Time to go back to Spooksville. Yeah. You thought Halloween was over, but it's no. not. We have <laughs> vampiric action to hit you with. I was actually, I'd, I'd been wanting to read Tomb of Dracula for a long time. Because um, I've never read it, and mm-hmm. I really uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, yeah. look forward to talking about that. Yes, yeah, we won't spoil too much about that talk that's coming up. That no, everybody is. Stay very tuned for the next forty minutes or so, and then we'll get to uh, we'll get to that talk. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Speaking of other podcasts, we want to uh, mm. quickly give a shout out to our to our boys over at Cheap Heat who are uh, yeah. homeless right now. Yeah. I hope they get to continue doing it. I do too. I uh, have already. I know we both already talked to uh, David Shoemaker. Yep. Hopefully, we'll be seeing him soon um, in familiar places, but I mean on our site. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm very much. Uh, yeah, just want to want to give a shout out to those guys. I missed. I missed not having an episode this week. It would have just it would come out tomorrow. I know. So it might still come out. <laughs> there's a there's a chance that they know how to do it. My fingers are crossed. Skirt around it. My I fingers are crossed. That'd be great. Much uh, support. I listened to Taz on Art of Wrestling. Oh yeah, I, I listened to that one a little while ago. I'm like, I think I want to listen to Taz's show. Yeah. And I have way too many shows to listen to right now. That was kind of my attitude. I was like, man, Taz has some good opinions, but I don't want to listen to another show. It's the same where ever like I see news breaking on Flair show all the time. Like, apparently guests, when they go on Flair show, just say stuff they're not supposed to. Oh, wow. Um, but I, I don't think I can listen to Ric Flair's podcast. Yeah. I love I love and respect Ric Flair, but I don't know, man. I feel like it's just going to be a lot of... Crying. A lot of like, crying. Uh, wooing, and which could be great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
a lot of excitement. I have, I think, 70 podcasts in my queue right now to listen to. It's like I got to get through them as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. Some of them I want to learn things, and some of them I just want to be entertained. It's a lot. It's quite a cross to bear. You know, it's really tough being me. Yeah, having all this entertainment at your fingertips. Ugh, all what this a media. nightmare. Speaking of all this entertainment at our fingertips. Oh, I was going to do speaking of our cross to bear, so good, good on you. Much <laughs> uh, better segue. Yes. You win the segue award thus far. Hooray. Uh, we've got comics on sale this week, and we're going to kick things off with Amazing Spider-Man number three, written by Dan Slott, art by Giuseppe Camoncoli. Uh, inks by Cam Smith and colors by Marte Gracia. First up, opens on um, Zodiac Crew. And I love this new Zodiac. This new Zodiac is delightful. Yeah. They've got personality. There's like, the, the, they're not so far up their own asses where they're like so into the gimmick. Yeah. They're like, they understand, the gimmick is important. Mm -hmm. Like, that is, that's what's getting them over, but they are, <laughs> they are able to, to look past it and 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 deal with them everything else in a real way. Well, what I like about this Zodiac, I mean, Zodiacs in the past have been cool, but I feel like there's always one or two cool members, and then everyone else is just kind of set dressing. Yeah. It's like you know a guy dressed like a bull, and a guy dressed like a lion. But this one, you're right. They each seem to have their own individual quirks and personalities and reasons that they're creepy on their own. Like Scorpio is clearly the leader. But, you know, you'd buy any of these other guys as, as being interesting enough to carry their weight. Yeah. Uh, there is a, whatever, which one this is. Which one? He's the bullish type one, I guess. Yeah. Is it Taurus? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Taurus the bull. I don't know signs. Uh, <laughs> but the bull guy, he he says, uh, we did it, brother. We jobbed him good. Yeah. And I. I popped for that. I popped for that, too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm curious, like, does, what was Dan's. Was Dan writing Slot? that? Was that edited no. to like be that? Because I loved it. I thought it was great. Slot has Nick. I don't know. Slot has some knowledge in that realm. Yeah, I will say. Yeah, because um, Daniels became such a big fan of his. Oh, I think he yeah. reciprocated a little. So that's awesome. I think I he loved knows. It. it made me so happy. I think I got he a knows. Big kick out of it. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that that particular Zodiac member would probably be yeah. of that personality ilk. So yeah. Uh, we get to see uh, where Parker Industries' new New York headquarters is, mm -hmm. uh, which is terrific. Uh, it leads to a big knockdown, dragout brawl through the building, yeah. around the building. Really uh, harsh, actually. Yeah. Much like, much harsher than I thought it would be. Yeah, like, dudes, calm down. And then it gets to this point where they're like, family, salute. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know. I love everything about it. It's really fun. Uh, we find out who's running the New York installation of Parker Industries, which I did not know. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think that's going to end well. No. I'm just putting that out there. No, no. That seems like a resume check was in order there. Yeah. little nepotism going on. Especially after uh, we get that reveal, the last page with another reveal of a character's appearance. It's bad it's news. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. I love Dan and company, what they're doing, firing on all cylinders with this book. Contest of Champions over in the Battle Realm. From New York to the Battle Realm we go. Contest of Champions number two, written by Al Ewing, art by Paco Medina, inks by Juan Velasco, and colors by David Curiel. Last issue was kind of about just setting up the general conceit of the Contest of Champions, introducing a few of the characters. Here, this is kind of cool, because we opened on Ares, and we did not that long ago read Ares for our This Week in Marvel Reading Club. So it was, it was neat to see Ares... You know, having his, his afterlife disturbed, showing how far the reach of the collector and the contest goes, 
And now we're starting to really get a sense of what the sides are in this contest. So we've got Collector, we've got Maestro, who is his summoner. So basically he's us if we're playing Contest of Champions. And then the champions he's picked up are Stick, Guillotine, Gamora, Iron Man, and Outlaw. But now he's got Ares as well. And this touches off just a whole big brawl between Ares and uh, Maestro that spills throughout the issue. We get to really see what Ares can do. So if you're a newer reader who hasn't read Ares, you get to see that he can hold his own against a futuristic armored up Hulk. Guillotine shows off her powers a little bit. Stick is just awesome. Oh my God, Stick is so great. He's like, you're a dummy. Yeah. I'm going to stick you with my stick. Yeah, because it's, it's here... <laughs> It's Heroes' nature to just be like, all right, let's rush in. Let's take care of this. Yeah. Let's go to action. And Stick's just like, all right, idiots, <laughs> chill out, you know, analyze the situation, figure out why this is a bad idea. Analyze this. Analyze that. Uh, meanwhile, White Fox is still trying to figure out where her comrade has gone. And we get to meet the other side because the whole thing about Contest of Champions is if there's one combatant, there's got to be another one. We find out who the other contest organizer is, and we find out who his summoner is, which is even cooler, because it's such a deep cut. And oh, I yeah. really oh, hope, yeah. if he doesn't end up in the game, that's <laughs> going to be a huge disappointment. I would imagine he has to. Yeah. Um, really fun stuff from Contest of Champions. Uh, two issues in, you can definitely tell that it is not just your standard video game adaptation. I'm really impressed with the, the folks for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, number one launch this week. We've got Deadpool. Number yeah, one. he's back. He's back. Alive. Uh, written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Terry Pallet. Colors by Val Staples. Um, all right. So first off, we launch right into uh, a. We launch into Deadpool like in Seoul, South Korea. Also, we get an appearance by uh, White Fox. Yeah, she's everywhere. She is everywhere. She's, she's awesome. She's too. the new Damon Hellstrom. Oh my god! That's a that's a that's a pullback. Yeah. Uh, so we get White Fox versus Deadpool. Uh, cool fight in Korea, and then boom, boom, boom. We realize that ain't Deadpool. No, that's the man called Solo. Oh, I love the man called Solo. Yeah. Uh, also, I didn't realize his name was James Bourne. I know, isn't that great? Oh my god! <laughs> it was just someone was having a very good time creating that character. Oh yeah, it was the ago. '90s. You know, it's just, terrific. I don't want to say what was flowing freely, but, you know. Pizza. It, it was. was so much pizza. So much pizza, pizza. And people were taking way too much of it. So much pizza. Yeah. Uh, and so we see that Solo is in Deadpool's costume. He's doing all this stuff. And you're then, over the next couple of pages, we see that's not the only non-Deadpool yeah. character in a Deadpool costume. It's ironic, given that his name is Solo. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, we over the course of the issue, we see a number of other characters uh, putting on Deadpool's costume, and then we find out why. We find out how it ties into Deadpool's new status quo in the Marvel Universe. He is funding the Avengers because he is such a huge now, star. Now, this thing Deadpool is wearing, is that the same thing the Miz wears? Oh, I hope not. I think it is. Oh. Well, no, it's more like, like a happened. suit, but like the suit... Act I want... That's actually a great design. It's pretty cool, it's right? It's the suit actually goes up into a hood. a hood the miz just wears a hood i don't know like man a hood with like i feel like that hood's part of his robe though but he's not wearing a robe he's wearing a i know suit. but it's the same basic eh, principle don't miz him 
What's, right. your, what's your problem with the Miz? Moreover, I don't know. Yeah, the Miz came up in a podcast we did with the Soska sisters. Oh yeah, yeah, they're friends with him. They call him Mike. They're Mike. Huge wrestling marks. It's That's great. awesome. Uh, anyway, so back to the issue at hand. Uh, we get to see all these different characters who are part of this, for lack of a better word, new Deadpool core, um, uh, including one who oh. crashes in and it made me so happy. Yep. Uh, and big favorite around here. Yeah, there's some really weird stuff going on with them. It's great. We get little interludes from various characters who uh, have connections to the Deadpool's. Luke Cage bit is probably my favorite. Yeah. You happen to have it open right now, but that's yeah. probably my favorite uh, little drop in. So good. Uh, then we get to see uh, Shikla. Um, oh, she's thrilled. Yeah, she's there's, doing great. There's definite bone zone action that is referred uh, inferred. Yeah, in no Deadpool issue. bone zone action. No, well, maybe maybe not that we know of. Yeah. Uh, we get Agent Adsit in here. We get Sabretooth in here. We get, uh, you know, uh, the various other members who are part of the mm-hmm. last The uh, whole supporting series. cast. A whole bunch of supporting cast coming back, which is great. And then uh, really creepy, ominous final page. Yeah. I really dug it. Mm-hmm. But it was That's like, cool. whoa, this, this book's not getting uh, not getting soft. No. Not, not getting soft. Another thing that's not getting soft is Doctor Strange, uh, which issue number two sees him fighting the worms from Beetlejuice um, right there <laughs> on the cover, which is nice. I think I already made that joke previously, but I'm happy to do it again. Yeah. This one's written by Jason Aaron, pencils and colors by Chris Pachalo, who's just born for this book. Oh, my God. He's you know so what? The, this creative team, really, this is the book for them. Yeah. Because it's Jason Aaron getting to just write craziness and Chris Pachalo can draw anything. And he gives Strange, you know, a level of wit he doesn't always have. He's not kind of the old stodgy Sorcerer Supreme. He's wisecracking and he's, he's joking around. He's got this great foil in terms of this girl who's come to him with, as he puts it, um, she had like mouths coming out of her head. They turn into demons and we find out they are essentially some sort of parasite from another dimension and she keeps the mouths on her head because they're like scabs as he says what does he say you have suffered a supernatural wound think of it as a scab that's why you still have mouths on your head so what we have to do is um, get a tour through the Sanctum Sanctorum that's essentially what this issue is a tour of the Sanctum Sanctorum it's awesome because it's strange leading this total neophyte through his weirdo house um, and like jokes being made along the way because it's it's equal parts funny and terrifying. Oh yeah, like there's snakes here, but the snakes are like the snake says, "Hey girl, what's up?" And the other I one's, laughed right? so hard. He says, "Hey girl, what's up?" And I like the strange just goes, "Do not talk to the snakes." <laughs> That's a good sample. We get Wong in this issue because Strange kind of just pops off halfway through. He just disappears. We don't know where he gets off to. Zelma, who is the girl, is still trying to negotiate her way through the house. Um, she opens Strange's refrigerator, nope, which is the idea. one thing he said not to do. Um, he, she tries to stop the demons from doing it, actually, but they open the fridge, and I like that he says, it's like, don't open the fridge because it's some you know nightmarish realm to another dimension. Just don't open the fridge because I have really weird tastes. As he said, he goes, I have very esoteric tastes. Uh, so something jumps out and attacks her. Wong saves the day. Wong's as chill as ever. I like the way Pachalo draws Wong with really only having one expression. And that expression is just like a smirk all the time. Strange comes back into the picture, um, hires this girl after getting overwhelmed by 
uh, the demons basically hires her to come back and help organize his library because she's a librarian, like on that show, The Librarians. Good callback. And, and um, but the ominous thing that's going on is that Strange tried to summon up a few spells, and I like that they use spells that we're used to him yeah. saying, like in this case, the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, because I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen Doctor Strange use that spell all the time. He can't summon it up, and there's some something bigger going on like these demons and the fact that he's all scabbed up and the fact that he can't call it something bigger is going on so this is a cool one and done story it's basically just like oh the creepy house that dr strange lives in yeah but it's also part of a bigger tapestry definitely it's like it's really it's a great issue if you want to give someone uh, a sampling of Doctor Strange and yeah. like the breadth of the weirdness that can encompass that I would character. say even more than the first issue it, this is, and I know this is something we're making an effort to do with second issues is make them kind of a good jumping on point but this was a great jumping on point like if you know nothing about Doctor Strange and just want to get a sample I, I would I would hand this to someone and then they're going to want to go back and read issue one just to find out how they got there totally all right, on to Drax number one, mm. uh, written by CM Punk and what? Colin Bunn. Who's that? CM Punk. Yeah. CM Punk. Is that how they chanted his name? I can't uh, remember. It's been a while. I Yeah, man. It's it's three syllables. That's how they chant all three yep. syllable names. Uh, <laughs> so uh, CM Punk going by the CM Punk He's going by CM Punk. He's milking it. Yeah. He's doing well it. Well, he should. He owns that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so he's co-writing it with Colin Bunn, art by Scott Hepburn, which I don't remember seeing much from Scott on Marvel Scott books. did some uh, Captain Marvel fill-ins oh. uh, back during the first volume that Kelly Sue did. Cool. I think. Um, and colors by Matt Mila, and it is terrific. I will say, first panel, first panel panel we get and it's clobbering time yeah that's and pretty great i actually that, didn't think of that until you just pointed it out that's that awesome made me so happy uh i loved it uh we get to see drax with the guardians getting involved in crazy space craziness mm-hmm. uh and he is so over the top i love the drax in this who is just this killing machine and like going to extremes to the point where all the other guardians are like oh what why why would you kill that thing in that way i also it felt so bad though that none of them want to hang out with him well then that, yeah. so they get to the Sorry, point where it's jumping ahead they've won this battle and everybody's like ah all right we're downtime do yeah and they're all like all right see you later i'm gonna go over here with him i'm gonna go over here with him i'm kitty i'm gonna do my own thing mm-hmm. like all this stuff and he's like I just want to hang out. Yeah. Go do something. But when Drax doesn't get to hang out, what does he decide to do instead? Go kill Thanos. Because that's what he does. Always. Which leads to this great sequence here. There's a a couple, there's a page where it's Drax like ranting and raving. Mm -hmm. And it just, the dialogue just turns into him saying Thanos over and over again. Thanos, 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 Thanos. Yeah. Yeah. Which is terrific. Uh, He gets a loner uh, spaceship from Rocket, which is a really funny sequence of uh, bits. And uh, it's just Drax now on his own, getting into some trouble. He gets he crash lands on a planet, and uh, it leads to the return of a character I'm sure you were super into. Oh yeah, I love that character. Yeah, so you're great. pointing to him as if yeah, I know who you're talking. Yeah, about. this guy. That guy. That guy. That guy. I know. I know, you know this guy. I know to whom you what were about referring. This thing? That. That thing's awesome, that right? That thing is great. Hey, and the last time we saw him, I believe he was, uh, I believe he was taken out by the Phoenix Force. So we'll see if they explain how he came back or not. Or they might not. Because you know what? It's CM Punk, and I'm not going to tell him how to do his story. Good comic's a good comic. Good comic's a good comic. I'm going to put Extraordinary X-Men aside 
until we cover Uncanny X-Men. Because I think we should do those in that order. How so, dare you? Off to the side you go, Extraordinary X-Men. We'll see you in a little bit. Bye let's bye. talk about <laughs> let's talk about Hercules. Number one, written by Dan Abnett, art by Luke Ross, colors by Guru FX. Uh, this is as I was describing to you before the podcast started, because I know you haven't read this one yet. It's just a good superhero comic. Um, and the cool thing about that is that Hercules is not your traditional superhero, and they make it unique in that way. That Hercules is this dude, the whole conceit of the comic is that Hercules was a legendary hero eons and eons ago, but in modern times he's kind of known as a joke. So he's trying to take himself a little bit more seriously, but what I like, what I, what I was worried about when I read that picture, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to read a totally serious, like, play-by-the-rules Hercules, and it's not. It's him trying to do that, but not really being able to. Like, he's still going to hit on his landlady. He's still going to make bad jokes. He's still going to, you know, act it out. But these kids come to him for help because they think one of their sisters is dating, as they put it, she's dating a monster. And Hercules, um, they're like, why are you listening to us? The police wouldn't listen to us. And he's just like... You know, I have I've I've known children to uh, have some insight into this sort of thing, and then he also notes that he like smelled magic on them. But I like the first thing, and also they get the whole deal of uh, he's a demigod, so he's like, I guess you need to make some sort of tribute to me so I can you know do your job for you, and they just give him basically trading cards, um, and they're like. They give him a trading card with a sea monster on it. And he goes, oh, I enjoy sea monsters. They're like, is that enough? And he's like, more than enough. It is your treasure. <laughs> it's just cool stuff like that throughout. The other thing I really love after Hercules battles this really weird uh, other dimensionally creature. gets a great design by Luke Ross and then later fights a sea monster. Is that Gilgamesh of the Eternals oh. is uh, living on Hercules' couch. Because he's just kind of unmotivated. He's just sitting around <laughs> watching TV. And he's like, Gilgamesh, you really need to get back out there and get into things. He's just like, oh, man, they don't fight the way we used to. There's all these gadgets. Like, I swear I'm going to get back out there today. And then he, um, and then they order they order dinner on a on a iPhone or something. And Gilgamesh is like, not everything is bad in this era. <laughs> it is wonderful. Amazing. Um, all right, on to Howard the Duck, number one. So many number ones this week. Howard the Duck, number one, uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Joe Quinones, and uh, inks by Joe Rivera. Uh, it starts out with, uh, it starts out looking three months into the past with uh, Howard laid out on the <laughs> ground uh, after a giant battle. Squirrel Girl giving a report to the police. Just gloating away. Just um, really great yeah. sequence. There's a, a squirrel with Wolverine, like a Weapon X squirrel. Yes. Which I love. <laughs> that was amazing. No, no follow-up to it. No nope. context. It's just, just there. It's just terrific. There's really no follow-up to that scene. No. Period. Yeah. I, this well, is just something annoying that happened to Howard because that's well, his life. Yeah. And it's one of a number of things that we see throughout this issue that have basically pushed Howard to the point where he doesn't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Being here, being the outcast, everyone looking at him like, whoa, you're a talking duck. Yeah. And like having to deal with this life, with these people on this planet is bumming him out. He wants to go home. And you know what's kind of great is that it took me a second. This speaks to the strength of both comics. Like, remember when we had that issue of S.H.I.E.L.D. that Howard the Duck was in? Yeah. And it was kind of the same theme almost. I had to think to myself, I was like, was that a Howard the Duck issue or was that a S.H.I.E.L.D. issue? Because it seemed like it segued so perfectly into this yeah. story. And I feel like that was the last Howard the Duck 
solo issue that we read. Yeah. So it worked out really nicely. Yeah. Just an aside there. Uh, And so, you know, a bunch of these different events, they're really great. We go into now where Howard and Tara are, uh, they're traveling. And Howard's telling her, hey, we're going to go to this, you know, we're going to go to uh, essentially Disney World. They don't say Disney World, but whatever. This is you guys who are listening. This is one on one right here. This yeah. is just us and you. Don't you worry do about it. it. Just yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, so he's like, "Yeah, I'll take you to Disney World or whatever, and we're gonna go." Great sequence because Tara is a squirrel, so mm-hmm. she changes her shape, uh, and she's got a hat on. Yep. And there's this really amazing little bit with the hat and the shape changing, and I won't spoil it because it's delightful. Oh man, I really want to. Um, I wish we did spoilers sometimes. Uh, never. Uh, we get appearances by Aunt May. Uh, yeah, Aunt May is a regular member of the supporting cast, which I think is great. Yeah. Because Spider-Man has a huge supporting cast, so we don't get to seal on Aunt May. No. So why not put her in Howard the Duck? And you know, she just wants to get out there and work. She yep. wants to do something. Contribute to society. Totally. Yep. Doctor Strange in a great, like, two pages. Just Doctor Strange is all over the place this yeah, week. really is. He's like the new white fox. <laughs> uh, and then we go and we figure out what Howard's real... Uh, motives were he wants to go home. Yeah, he, he doesn't is, really want to go to pseudo Disney World. Yeah, uh, and he's led Tara here because he needs help in trying to get. And also, uh, he wants to say goodbye. He does. He yeah. does. They become buds. Uh, they want to get to the nexus of all nexus of reality. Oh, nexus of all realities. All realities. A yep. uh, place where Man Thing, you know, used to just hang out and party. But he's not there. He's not there. No. He's in Howling Commandos. A couple of villains. A couple of no good nicks. Uh, trying to uh, manipulate the nexus of all realities. There's a really cool little... Like, I love when we get these alternate reality cutaway bits. Mm. It's just there's one in here with, like, five different realities, and it's super cool. Uh, fight ensues. It's uh, it's really terrific. I love the way they sort of develop the different powers going on here. Like, the way Tara uses her shape-changing abilities, some of the, the gadgets from one of the villains, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then it sort of all flips around. You think that Howard's like doing it, he's made it, he's gonna go and, and deal with his stuff, and then boom, it's not quite that simple. No. To a last page of the main story, uh, we get a hint at what's coming up, and two characters, and it's just like, what? And Howard even says, what? What? <laughs> uh, it's great. That's not it. No, we there's more. more. There's more. There's a second story with Black Cat and Howard and the debut, I think this is the first appearance. This is the very spanking new first appearance of, you want to say it? No. Okay. You can say of it. Of a new character. Yeah. Named Gwenpool. <laughs> I think she's on the cover. Yeah, she's yeah. on the cover. She is on the cover. Yeah. So this is her second appearance. Oh. It's her first appearance inside a comic. Yes. Uh, but some funny, wacky, wacky stuff. And uh, a lot of mystery to what is going on here. Yeah, I'm pretty confused. Yeah, I don't know who Gwenpool is. But that story is written by Chris Hastings mm-hmm. um, and art by Danilo Beirut. Right. Uh, colors by Tamara uh, Bonvillain. Yeah, and Gwenpool is going to be a uh, backup feature in the first few issues of Howard the Duck before first getting her own special. Yeah, first three issues, I think, yeah. of Howard. And then, yeah, own special. Then off to her own deal. Yeah. All right, from Howard, we go to Invincible Iron Man number three. I can't believe we have three issues of this already. <sighs> and Amazing Spider-Man. Those are both on, oh both just debuted. I love it. I mean, yeah. they're amazing. Crank them out, man. Like, especially when you open the first thing you see when you open up Invincible Iron Man number three is this incredible page drawn by Dave Marquez. <sighs> Dave Marquez, uh, Colors so probably good. Justin Ponsor. I think so. Yes, colors by Justin Ponsor. Just gorgeous top to bottom. Uh, Madam Mask 
using like crazy mystic weird powers that she never had shown before. No, nope. uh, well, but this is her old thing. She's been gathering up mystic artifacts. Yeah. So uh, she's got some new abilities. No more of that crap. Yeah. Uh, she goes and she's she's tearing Tony Stark a new butthole. Ooh. Yeah. I said it. Saucy. Yeah. Uh, we get to see some really cool uh, explosion bits and Tony trying to regroup and use, utilizing his armor in cool ways. Uh, but you know what? He had to split. He he had to split. Madame Mask bounced. She was like, yeah, I, I won this one. You're done. Yeah. Like if we were looking see at trading ya. cards, like the old 80s, 90s trading cards, this would be Madame Mask 1, yeah. Iron Man 0. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so Iron Man, Tony goes to MIT to see uh, the lady who uh, he had met in, I think we met her in the first issue. We did. I like this relationship so far. Yeah. Am- Amara. I don't remember. She's, doc- she's a doctor. She's she incredibly is doctor. smart. She's probably uh, smarter than Tony. Way smarter than Tony. Uh, there's a cool, like really, really cool bit of dialogue between them. We, we sort of skip back and forth between yeah. uh, Tony's recollection of the events that led him to leaving and going to MITC America. I like that Tony acts completely different around her than he does during the rest of the book. Yeah. That's cool. Because I feel like we've always seen, you know, Iron Man and Tony Stark kind of act the same, whether they're fighting a villain or romancing a lady. It's all the same dude. This this woman knocks him so off his feet that he actually has to change his personality a little bit. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it feels so much like the Tony we think of in our heads mm-hmm. too like from the because you know, once you see someone in a movie it's hard not it's to hard not to picture hear that, that and voice I think this most closely resembles that while Absolutely. still being its own thing and being really really stand out uh, and so Tony is like okay I need to figure some stuff out uh, Madame Mask is, is, is she, she's doing some crazy stuff I'm gonna go see my friend Doctor Strange again Doctor Strange, Strange the white fox of this week <laughs> Other than White Fox. Uh, so Tony goes to Doctor Strange, tells him about Doctor Doom mm-hmm. and all the craziness there, tells him about Madame Mask. Oh, God, this sequence. This, there's one page, six panels, very little movement. Yep. But it, I, so good. oh, God. That expression on Tony's face sells it. Yes. So good. Dave also, Marquez. Tony Tony giving Doom a hard time about uh, not having a cool stash like him and Strange do. Yeah. It's pretty good. You must have enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um it's great, and we get to see that Tony is, even in so far as he's developed this most amazing new armor, he's still in over his head, uh, and he's got a big road to hoe coming up. Uh, also, I want to make sure I'm giving a shout-out to Brian Michael Bendis, who is the writer. Yes, I didn't mention Brian Michael name. Bendis. He wrote that book. He wrote the comic. Good for him. He did not write Marvel Universe Guardians of the Galaxy number 2, which is based on the episode Nowhere to Run, written by Marty Eisenberg, directed by Leo Riley, and adapted by a boy, Joe Caramagna. So as always, if you enjoy our animated series, you will enjoy this as well. Also venturing outside the Marvel Universe, Max Ride Ultimate Flight is the follow-up to our first Max Ride series based on James Patterson's uh, literary work. This one's written by Jody Hauser, pencils by R.B. Silva, who is a great talent, and I'm really excited to see them working here. Uh, inks by Walden Wong, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. This picks up where the last Max Flight left off. The 
kids are on the run, they're trying to find their birth parents, they get a little tripped up and they end up clashing with the FBI, but it may be the best thing that ever happened to them. Uh, Max finds out she has a new power she didn't know she has, some romance going on in here. This feels like the wrong book to be talking about the bone zone in, because these are like, I don't know, like 14 year olds at at best. Yeah, so let's just back right off that. And um, by the end of the issue, the kids are gonna have to go to school. And continuing with the theme of children being in the spotlight, Miracle Man number four, written by Neil Gaiman, art by Mark Buckingham. We are still adapting the Golden Age. This is book four of the Golden Age, classic stuff from the 1980s. Um, or was this the 90s at this point? Yeah, Golden Age was the 90s. Yeah. So they were already into the early 90s now. But man, this is a. As with all the Golden Age stories, it's kind of slice of life stories from not featuring Miracle Man, but how people have been affected by Miracle Man. In this case, it's this family um, where one of the children, it's, it's, it's a mixed family where it's children from two different marriages or two different relationships. And the daughter is the result of the mother and Miracle Man. Uh, Miracle Man essentially sent out his genetic material, said if you want to have a Miracle Man baby, you can go ahead and have a Miracle Man baby. So similar to Winter, this daughter is very kind of aloof, very overdeveloped. She has powers. She has all this stuff. And most of the issue takes place in the form of a children's story called Winter's Tale. And we get the origin of Winter and how she went on different uh, journeys and went through space and met all these different people. And it's done basically like a prose novel where or a picture book with some pictures in it. And it's all really kind of like wonderful and outlandish. And then when things come crashing back down to reality, they get this, we, we get this horrible, horrible revelation about what's going on in this woman's life. And it's just so sad. It's sad, her relationship with her husband, her relationship with her daughter, and what she wants out of life and what she's not necessarily getting. Um, Again, as I say every time, I shouldn't have to sell you guys on Miracle Man, but this is a really good issue of Miracle Man. (laughs) (laughs) And moving right along to Nova number one, back in the Marvel Universe, but still going with the theme of uh, children and their parents. In Nova number one, written by Sean Ryan, who was an editor. Was he an editor back here when you started? Uh, he might have been still at the time. I think he just left before I started, so yeah. he must have been finishing up when you were there. Art by Corey Smith. It's a new take on Sam Alexander, who is now side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder with his old man, Jesse Alexander, who's back in the Nova suit. They are a team of Novas tackling disasters, whether that means they are rescuing cats from burning buildings, whether that means they're fighting aliens, whether that means they are trying to make excuses to their wife slash mother why they've been out all night. They are a team, and Sam is happier than he's ever been. So, of course, that means not everything is as it seems, and things are going to change, and this wonderful, happy status quo cannot remain this wonderful, happy status quo, which is kind of a heartbreaker. What if it did? Well... But, like, think about it. What if it just was, like, happiness? We just ignore this last page? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Stay tuned, true believers. <laughs> All right, on to Star Wars number 11, written by Jason Aaron, Art Bar Stewart Eminem, and inks by Wade Von Grabadger and colors by Justin Ponsor. So, we are on uh, Nar Shada, right? Mm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. we're on Nar Shada, uh, which is just this awful planet. And um, it's, a, it's a moon, I should say. And you've got uh, Luke, 
who has been captured by Gracchus the Hutt and been thrown into this gladiatorial, just violent contest uh, where he has to kill or be killed. Um, and Gracchus pretty much is sure he's going to get killed because he's not a very good Jedi at no. this point. He's no. barely a Jedi. Maybe not even. I wouldn't even call him a Jedi. I think yeah. that's an insult to Jedis. Yeah, personally. Then you got Chewie and three PO who are trying to go help out, and then boom, Dengar shows up. Who is this? An established guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I Dengar, did not know him. Oh yeah, he shows up very briefly, probably in Empire Strikes Back. There's a shot where uh, where Vader is like. Uh, bounty hunters go find me this thing and mm-hmm. like there's this one shot of all these cool b- bounty hunters and this mm-hmm. is like what Star Wars fans went crazy for because we didn't at, at that point there was no like ancillary books or media right, that right. showcase things it was like oh that guy he has a toy and so you had like Dengar and, and, and Boba Fett and all these you know other characters Bosk and stuff like that who showed up and it was just like what is their deal and I I mean, I'm sure there's been other stories with Dengar. Right. Uh, but here... This is the first time he showed up in our in, new Marvel Star Wars continuity. Right. And he shows up, and he is such a badass. Mm. He is terrifying. He's like... Uh, uh, he's kind of like... For some reason, I get hardly race in my head when I, I think see about that. him. I can you see know, that. Like grizzled, Just violent, like, tough, yeah. mean... Dumb kids. Yeah. Uh, so he takes down Chewie. That's what Harley Race says, I guess, in my mind. <laughs> Calls everyone dumb kids. Yeah. Uh, so there's this there's great back and forth between uh, Dengar and Chewie throughout the book. Uh, well, we go over to Luke, who's, yes, captured, and he's trying to, you know, fight his way out. And yep. he has to fight this horrible thing called Congo the Disemboweler. Congo the Disemboweler. I don't believe that's an established creature. Right. But I could be wrong. Mm, that sounds like a Jason Aaron creation. <laughs> the old Disemboweler. Yeah. Uh, well, that's going on. We've got... Uh, Han, we get the secret origin of Han Solo's marriage. Yes, finally. Finally, we get took several issues. Yeah, we get we get the story behind that, which is great. Uh, Han just being pitiful, totally pitiful. Uh, lots of battling, lots of fighting, awesome action, craziness, and just the last story page of this issue mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. It made me so happy, and it was like it's very that, cinematic. That Chewy were home type moment. Yep, I felt oh, just yeah. like that. Oh, so good. All right. Uncanny X-Men 600. We did it. I love this issue. Finally here. I love this issue. Uh, first off, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Huge issue. I mean, it's Huge, like 40 gigantic. pages or whatever it is. Um, I mean, we've been building up to it for like eight months or something. Yeah. Every X-Men comic is said to be continued in Uncanny X-Men number 600. True so, uh, It's uh, art by Sarah Pakeli, Mahmoud Asrar, Stuart Eminen, Chris Anka, uh, Chris Bashalo, David Marquez, Fraser Irving, uh, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, Tim Townsend, Mark Irwin, colors by Marta Gracia, Jason Keith, Chris Bashalo, Fraser Irving. Yeah. I mean, it's... It takes a village, truly, to produce Uncanny X-Men number 600. And it's great because yep. it's gorgeous. Oh, it's so amazing. Uh, and it starts off with Beast being uh, summoned, like, hey, can you come up to the cafeteria at the hey, school? Hey, yeah, we just want to talk to you real quick. Hey, I, we, got, we got cookies up here. You want to eat some cookies? Ooh, I love cookies. Sure, I'll be right up. No, nope. nope. Silly beast. He gets there, and every X Man and every student is there waiting for him. Yep. And he's like, <laughs> he even says, "It's not my birthday." Uh, and they're like, "We are here to help you." And he's like, "Is this an intervention?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is an intervention. Mm-hmm. We're here because you need to stop being 
all the things you are right now. You have to stop tinkering with space, time, reality, all the lives and all the futures and all the possibilities of everyone everywhere, especially us. Yeah. Uh, That's the crux of the main story here, but that helps us dive into all the side stories for all the various characters. I mean, it was, it's actually like such a beautifully crafted story. Well, yeah, because this is Bendis's, I mean, how long was he on X-Men? For three years almost. Was it that long? Yeah, because he started in 2012. Wow. Wrapped up in 2015. And this is every story that he's kind of left dangling between not just Uncanny X-Men, but all new X-Men as well. He resolves them all here to some degree or another. It's great. We get a great moment with uh, Colossus, Magic, uh, and uh, Kitty Pride. We've got uh, lots of yelling from Beast. We get the uh, the big Iceman stuff, which I'm yeah. sure if you've been people have been waiting, you know, if you want, if, not only if people have been waiting, but also if you've heard it was on the news sure. and reported all around the place. Uh, a lot of a lot of talking going on with Iceman, Iceman. Yeah, and Iceman is my favorite X Man. So for me, this was just him getting this kind of focus and getting this level of wow, that makes so much sense. And oh my God, there's so many layers to this character. And he's so interesting. It was just, it was really cool for me. Yeah, that's great. I really, I thought it was a really sweet sequence. And I agree. It, it was a great way to put that together and like yep. say, this is what happened. Yep. Uh, we've got the all new X-Men, like the, the, the kids from the future, uh, the original past. X-Men. They're from the past. They're from the past. Right. Living in their future, which there is our present. Oh my God. When will then be now? soon um <laughs> we got this great moment uh some smooching yep love a good smooch in an love X-Men a good comic. smooch you know we get that just like how nicklo used to do him <laughs> i don't I'm not sure nick loves kissing in comics you didn't know this <laughs> i didn't oh my god he talks about it all the time um we get all that and then like this big moment because like the old the person who wasn't at the intervention was cyclops mm-hmm. and he kept on which makes being sense brought up Cyclops, Cyclops, Cyclops. And yes, it Cyclops, makes Cyclops, sense. Cyclops, and Or uh, Havoc. Right. Havoc's not there for a different reason. Right. Uh, but all this leads to Cyclops in the book by the end, and we get this bunch of crazy sequences and, like, things going on. And like, oh, okay. After what Cyclops does, I felt both sides of what was going on. On the one hand, I was like, oh, good. He was trying to do good all along, but I definitely felt the beast perspective of like, no, you fools. Yeah. Why are you listening to him? Yeah. Like, he's such a jerk. Yeah. Such a jerk. Totally. Uh, and then we get this beautiful Fraser Ar- Irving art to end the issue. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Go, it all goes back to Beast. It goes back to Beast, and it goes back to one of my favorite yep. um, more of recent creations, one of the recent characters, Eva Bell, and uh, some stuff that happens yeah. there is. Man, man, and like, look at that that facial expression. I know. Last, ooh, it's pretty incredible. Ooh-wee. There's a backup story too. There's a backup. It's a there, classic. There's a classic Mary Jo Duffy written, George Perez drawn, black and white Iceman story from like Amazing Adventures or something. Yeah, uh, bizarre adventures. Bizarre adventures. It yeah, was. It, it's. I didn't know why it was in there at first because they just segue into it with no explanation. Yeah. But I don't really care. It's a really good Iceman story. Whoa. I didn't realize he was from Floral Park. Oh yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah, you Legit. guys, you guys are very I'm Iceman. You are basically Iceman. You're both CPAs. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. You're both gay. You're <laughs> gay. I'm a little gay. You're both gay mutants. Um, yeah, yeah. Ryan Panagos, real life Iceman. Oh man, this is awesome. This is so, very exciting. So now, <laughs> I, for some reason, what a revelation. I that the first time I read it, like it says, birthplace Floral Park. I'm not born there. But, yeah. You know, well, you know, you both you came up. You came up the same way. 
So let's transition from there back to Extraordinary X-Men number one, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Olazaba, and colors by Edgar Delgado. So flash forward a little ways, eight months to be exact, and things where we end off in Uncanny X-Men, it seems like things are looking up for the mutant race. Well, that did not stay that way for long because when we catch up with the X-Men in our present day, Storm is in a tough spot because she's leading a team of X-Men that includes, right now, Iceman, Magic, and Nightcrawler, and she needs more X-Men because things have gotten really, really bad for mutants. Uh, basically, mutants, as, as Magic puts it, they used to be feared and hated. Now they're just hated. People are not afraid of them anymore. Yeah. They're going after them. They're trying to save all the mutants they can who have been affected negatively by the Terrigen Mists. They're trying to take them to Exhaven, which is this, not even, it's, it's, it's the school, but we don't know where it's located. It's, it's a malt in, shop. It's a malt shop. It's, uh, it's the, the school, but it's been taken somewhere else. It's been separated. Uh, Storm goes to try to recruit young Jean Grey, and through her, we kind of learn what has happened to mutants in the last eight months. Meanwhile, in a phenomenal sequence, I love that Umberto Ramos draws Colossus. Just this, like, blob of metal and muscle, and he fights a bear because he's on his farm, and... <laughs> Magic goes to try to get him back. He's got a beard. His beard turns into metal. It goes perfectly from the sequence that they just had in Uncanny 600. Their relationship is very complex. Uh, Nightcrawler is being hounded by who? We don't know. Jean decides she wants a life of her own, but she does tell Storm how to find one other guy who might be a little helpful, uh, who's a little familiar, but a little different. And he's on the cover, so I'm just going to go ahead and say <laughs> it's Old Man Logan. What a bizarre team of X-Men this is going to end up being. Yeah. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. All right, last up for the week, Vision number one. Talk about off-kilter books, man. This one was... Whew. So we announced the concept of this book a while ago. It's written, by the way, by Tom King. The art's by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. The colors are by Jordi Belair. That's a pretty great team right there. Mike Del Mundo on covers. Um, the whole idea of this book is that Vision wants a normal life. So when he's not being an Avenger, he builds a wife and kids for himself and essentially establishes himself in a uh, Virginia suburb while he's working for the government. And so this book is about Vision, you know, a little bit of adventure, but more just this slice of life. What's it like if you're a synthesoid living? Like, how do people perceive you? How do these people interact with the fact that they were they were just created, but they're supposed to love each other? They're supposed to be a family. The kids are at school, and there's some fascination with them, but there's also um, there's there's fear of them, and people are just weirded out by them. The wife is not necessarily happy because you know she didn't ask to be created. She's just kind of stuck in this thing. But it's also just creepy because the neighbors come over and visit and we get kind of like this just offhanded comment of what's eventually going to happen to them. And the Grim Reaper shows up and uh, it's just it's it, Hernandez Walta's art. I'm so glad, so, so, so glad that he is on another book because he is so good. 
And this quirky vision that Tom King has, and we spoke to Tom King at New York Comic Con, and he talked about the vision as this incredibly untapped character who's just fascinating, who's the heart of the Avengers, but, you know, what does he get up to when he's not an Avenger? Um, yeah, I'm having a lot of trouble describing this book, but it was really, really good. I was, like, going along. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I'm seeing where it's going, seeing where it's going. And then it gets to that point yeah. towards the end. And I was, I, like... It took me so off guard, and which was great. Like it, it made me feel antsy, yeah, in a I, good way. Like I it, was, I was upset yeah. by what was going on, and it like made me go, "Oh my god, I need to like." It was one of those really gripping moments. Yeah, in comics. this this really feels like a book where I have no idea where it's going. Yeah. It feels like you know this could. It's so much more than 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 the premise. I don't know. You guys got to read it. Um, yeah. Write into us and tell us what you think. I think it's 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 a very hard book to put a label on, and this is a really strong week, man. Yeah. I've got. I'm gonna count them up. I got one, two, three, at least four books that I'm <laughs> waffling between right now. Oh my goodness! My twin of the week. That's a lot of books, dude. It, there was so much good stuff this week. Mm. I'm gonna go with Uncanny X Men though just a big old awesome art filled jam you know we get some really good debuts this week some really strong series that i think are going to have their time in the sun but you know as kind of bendis's farewell love letter i'm going to give it to uncanny 600 this week it really is such a strong week Mm -hmm. and like i love all the launches Mm -hmm. especially drax and deadpool and howard um but uh, the number Iron Man number three so friggin' good yep. I'm going with Doctor Strange number two Doctor Strange number two was in my uh, yeah. it was in my consideration yep. so yeah really strong week you guys go out and buy all our books um, because it's gonna really just give you such pleasure and us such money so we love the money that's really it's a win win for money, everybody money 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 I don't think I go high enough right now my throat's too dry Money. <laughs> uh, collections on sale this week in print. Age of Apocalypse, War Zones, Avengers by Kurt Busiek and George Perez, Omnibus Volume 2 in hardcover. That's one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. You should read it. Blade, Undead by Daylight, which is this crazy collection of Blade things. It's not even really a collection. It's like four issues in a in a big old staple bound. Yeah. I don't know what we're calling that, but it included one issue that we're going to talk about in a little bit. So there you go. Um, George Romero's Empire of the Dead Act 3, Guardians of the Galaxy solo classic omnibus hardcover, Hawkeye Volume 5, all new Hawkeye, New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman Volume 2, hardcover, and Star Wars Princess Leia. Uh, Digital comics on sale this week, Uh, the books that we've already talked about, as well as Dable Dable and Cadpool. Dable and Cadpool. Deadpool and Cable. Split Second Infinite Comic number two and Ultimate Spider-Man Infinite Comic number 22. And tons of stuff on the Marvel app this week. We've got uh, Blade Crescent City Blues number one, Classic Star Wars one through 20, Daredevil versus Punisher one through six, J2 one through six. A lot of MC2 stuff in here this so week. So good. Live Wires one through six, Magic one through four from 1983. Yep. Punisher versus Bullseye one through five. Star Wars Crimson Empire 1 through 6, Star Wars Crimson Empire 2, Council of Blood, Star Wars Crimson Empire 3, Empire Lost. Wow, people really liked that. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars Dark Empire 2, Star Wars Empire's End 1 and 2, Star Wars Hair to the Empire Hair. 1 through 6, 
Star Wars Shadows of the Empire <laughs> 1 through 6 and Shadows of the Empire Re- Evolution 1 through 5. Star Wars The Last Command 1 through 6. Star Wars Zam Wessel number 1. And The Cute. Last Defenders 1 through 6. Tomb of Dracula 24 and Tomb of Dracula number 58. Can you can you truly believe that Tucker, intern Tucker, is trying to sneak in here and bring this equipment back? No, I'm not. Yep. He, he came in pretty stealthily. Yeah, though. I was not going to let him get away with it. All. I know. That yeah. was pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Fair, farewell. Uh, digital collections on the app this week. Age of Apocalypse, War Zones, Blade, Undead by Daylight, Captain America by Dan Jurgens, Volume 2, George Romero's Empire of the Dead, Act 3, Hawkeye, Volume 5, All New Hawkeye, Iron Man, Rapture, Marvel 1602, New World, Star Wars, Kanan, Volume 1, The Last Padawan, Star Wars, Princess Leia, Thor, Across All Worlds, Ultimatum, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and here's a classic for you, Venom, Lethal Protector. Yeah. Freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited, we have all-new Captain America Special number one, Amazing Spider-Man number 18, Ant-Man number five, Avengers vs. number one, Guardians team-up number five, Heroes Reborn, The Return, issues two through four, so I guess we had issue one up there. You guys can read the rest now. Hulk number 16, Inhuman Annual number one, Kanan number two, Operation Sin number five, Return of the Living Deadpool number four, Rocket Raccoon number 11, Secret Wars number one, and we're still going. USA, USA. And Spider-Gwen number four. Amazing, amazing. Uh, All right, let's uh, go right to the news. And now, from Marvel headquarters, it's This Week in Marvel News. All right, Ben, what do we got? Okay, news. Uh, a lot of you guys have been asking, when is Miles Morales coming to the Marvel Universe? We know he's going to be in a book ben, called Spider- Yeah. When is Miles Morales coming to the Marvel Universe? Oh, good question, Ryan. Uh, he's coming in February, February 2016. Spider-Man number one debuts. We have the first pages anywhere from Sarah Pichelli. They're on Marvel.com right now. Speaking of firsts, we did our first music to Marvel buy. This was, this was a brainchild of yours. You want to explain what it is? Sure. Uh, so we, we're we using Spotify because uh, we have an agreement with them to do some cool stuff. And we're like, hey, let's take Spotify. They got all these songs. We know creators love music. Uh, let's ask the creators what they either work, listen to while they're working on the issue, what they're listening to now, what the playlist for the issue would be, sort of leaving it open-ended for them. And we thought, what a great book to start with. Uh, let's go with Squir- uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, mm-hmm. number one. We talked about Ryan North and uh, Erica Henderson to get their picks for what they want for the book. And we put up a whole story and a playlist so you can listen to uh, what they wanted you to listen to. And loathe as I am to say it, thank you to the Wolfman for uh, putting that together, helping to put that together. He sure did. Good job, Patsy. Uh, speaking of the vision, which we just were a little while ago, if you dug that book and want to go a little more behind the scenes, Gabriel Hernandez, Walta, and Tom King both spoke to us about not only the book, but also Gabriel's process. We showed some pencils. We showed some inks. It's beautiful. It's crazy stuff. Over in games, a lot of new stuff available. Hulkbuster and Ultron are both now playable in Disney Infinity 3.0 edition. You can get those figures now. Over in Marvel Puzzle Quest, we announced that Phoenix is going to be coming soon. In Avengers Alliance, there is a new PvP going on where you can win Misty Knight, even as the Spitfire Spec Op is still running. And in Marvel Contest of Champions, Venom, classic Venom, Eddie Brock Venom, who has been seen already in the pages of the comics, is now available in the game as well. 
Nice. I uh, just want to put a shout out that the Collector Core boxes are arriving right now. It's the Villains box. Ooh. And we did an unboxing of the box and did a video of that, posted it on our social media, on Marvel YouTube, on Marvel.com. You can check that out if you want to know what's in the box. If you don't, I'm not going to spoil it for now. But if you do, you go to the site, go to our YouTube. You can see all the cool stuff. It's awesome. Uh, I got a box, and I saved all the stuff, and it was great. Uh, the next box, I believe, is Guardians. All right. Sweet. Yeah. Let's kick it over to the West Coast. It's the West Coast. Show me in the Wolfman. It's the West Coast. Show me in the Wolfman. It's the West Coast. Show me in the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, baby. Hello there. This week in Marvelites, this is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com assistant editor Patrick Cavanaugh. For another spooky installment of the Stromy and the Wolfman show, starring... Spooky... Spooky Wolfman and Stromy. Not so spooky Stromy. Not so spooky Stromy. It's not spooky. Well, it was spooky last week is Halloween. I think we missed the first week, though. Yeah, that's true. So we're making up for it here. Uh, we've got, what we got going on this week? We're here to review all of this week's comics for you. Here we go. Strap in. Only three more hours yeah, to go got, on this podcast. We've got Invincible Iron Man number three, I feel like, is out this week. And Probably. Yeah, is great. And Vision number one, I'm pretty sure, came out this week. That of course. Great. Of um, course. Probably a how, Deadpool comic. There was a Deadpool comic. Deadpool number one. And, uh, we had, uh, um... Uh, that other all right, comic. Let's let's talk about maybe TV and film. Let's maybe talk about TV and film. We had the fiftieth episode of Marvel's Agents of Shield this uh, week. We to celebrate. Uh, we went down and we chatted with the cast and got some of their favorite moments from the first fifty episodes. Really great video piece that you can find on Marvel.com. What and, a cool idea! And, yeah, it's it's great. Thank thank you for the idea, Patrick. Um. Uh, and also our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Marvel. Um, it's a little long, but it's worth it. There are some great uh, moments in there. And what's – it's, what, nine minutes long? It's like eight minutes long. Right. That's what our attention span is like, that we have to say, it's a little long. You really have to devote eight minutes of your day. This isn't – you know, I know you wish it was a minute-and-a-half video, but – to allow people to talk in any sort of coherent the, way. This is true. We are not sitting down to watch all three Godfathers in a row. Exactly. But we do less to... It's a little long. It's like eight minutes. So that's like... And it was actually a cut down because we actually had like 40 minutes worth of material for this. So we'll actually be releasing some other shorter bits. Uh, you know, maybe like seven minutes. So we really apologize that we tried to give you interesting, entertaining, and engaging content that lasts eight minutes instead of a potentially preferred GIF. <laughs> Can we just boil the eight-minute video into a series of GIFs? Actually, you probably could get a couple of good GIFs out of it. Fair enough. Um, like Ian and his dog? Ian, that's actually Elizabeth's dog. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, boy. That's, that's the joke is that's, that's Elizabeth's dog. What's the dog's name? Do you remember? Maggie. Maggie? Maggie. Hmm. Yep. Maggie is Elizabeth's dog. Maggie Gyllenhaal? Not, no, not Maggie Gyllenhaal, just Maggie. Fair enough. Um, anyway, uh, yes, we also had a great episode this week, some big revelations, um, and we will actually be pulling out a featurette, um, 
later this week or maybe early next week exploring the visual effects process behind one, that big revelation. I'm not going to spoil what it is because maybe you DVR'd it and haven't watched it yet. But uh, for those of you that have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a uh, transformation at the end of the episode, and we talked with the uh, lead visual effects director, Mark Kolpak, as well as the actor that was involved in that. Or actress. Or actress. Is an actor. Uh, that was involved in that transformation. Um, and we had a new, this week in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this week, of course, again, to celebrate the 50th episode, I chatted with uh, star Clark Gregg, along with executive producers uh, Jed Whedon, Marissa Tancherone, Jeffrey Bell, and Jeff Lowe. Um, looking back, it's about a, uh, it's a longer installment, about 40 minutes this time, because we sort of do a uh, retrospective of the entire series and go back to its beginnings and its origins and how characters have transformed. Lots of great stuff in there. Check it out. Uh, and moving over into the world of Marvel's Agent Carter, we announced, well, I'm about to post, so by the time you're listening to us, it will be announced that Ken Marino will be playing Joseph Manfredi in Marvel's Agent Carter, a uh, mob boss, one of the leaders of the Magia out in Los Angeles uh, back in the 40s where Carter is set. What's, um, what's your favorite Ken Marino role? Um... Because you wrote it up. You, you had to write up the release or whatever, or the article, so you were probably I mean, it's, browsing it's, his credits. It's, it's what How American Summer, Yeah, it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. That's a good choice. <laughs> it's a very good choice as Victor in Wet Hot American Summer. He was also great in Veronica Mars. Oh, man, that's right. He was in Veronica Mars, wasn't he? He was, and in uh, Party Down. I never saw Party Down. <laughs> Rob Thomas. I know, I know. Um, not not from Matchbox Twenty. No, did the different other, Rob the Thomas. Other, the other Rob Thomas, the the TV writer Rob Thomas, not the songwriter Rob Thomas. Um, but that's cool. I'm excited about Ken Marino. I'm excited too. He's uh, my favorite quarterback from the Miami Dolphins. I know. Oh man, <laughs> he lost it. Oh boy, he lost his train of thought. Um, but, no, I'm excited too. Uh, I know some stuff about his role, and, and it'll be highly enjoyable if you like Ken Marino. Um, I think that's everything I got for TV. Do we have a new episode? New anime, uh, yeah, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, brand new episode this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. on Disney XD. In this episode, uh, Gamora kind of turns on the rest of the Guardians and manipulates both Nebula and Karath to kind of get what she wants. So it's definitely this big, heated kind of sibling rivalry, double-crossing. It's a Gamora-centric episode, and Gamora shows her acting abilities, and uh, you don't really know where her allegiances lay. Lie? Lie? I think, I think that's lie. I, I always get confused about lay, lie... We, you you won't you won't be knowing which in way she gonna go. Yes, I yeah, believe I, that's be, I believe that's the proper grammatically way of correct. It. Yes. yes, yeah. So tune in to that brand new episode this Saturday at nine thirty p.m. Uh, we'll be posting a clip of it so you can look at that as well. Are you chatting with Wacker after this? Or? No, All right. no. They were they were 
disposed. All right. Indisposed? They are yeah, disposable. In, indisposed. They are disposable. No, indisposed is... They're in the garbage disposal. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening, as always. We'll be back in seven more days. Until then, have a splendid first weekend, a splendid first week. And as always, I apologize for the Wolfman. that Twim URC song. Now let's get right into it. Ben, this is your pick. Let's talk about it. Uh, Tomb of Dracula. We read six issues from Tomb of Dracula. They were the first six issues done by Marv Wolfman as writer and Gene Colan as artist. I think Colan had already been drawing the book at this point, but Wolfman came in and this became the definitive Tomb of Dracula team. I think they did something like 60 or 70 issues all told. Dang. Uh, they were around for a while on this book. It became a pretty big hit in the 70s. Um, what's cool about Tomb of Dracula is we've talked in the past about books led by villains and how they can be tricky because you run the risk of if a villain's your main character, making them too likable, taking away what makes them such a good villain. That's why a lot of times you see limited series with villains. The beauty of Tomb of Dracula and the template it established is that Dracula is a main character of the book, but the people hunting him, who in this case are Rachel Van Helsing, Quincy Harker, Frank Drake, Taj, and as introduced in this part of the book, Blade, they're you know, they're they're the protagonists you need. You get all your character development with them. Dracula is evil. He is pure evil. He does have his moments. That there's the one moment with the yep. the dude. I yep. love that issue. And that's what made it so good is that there are moments when you're like, oh, maybe he could be a good guy, but then you have to remember all the other terrible stuff he did in the previous issues. And there's something about just this obsession that he has with the vampire hunters and that they have with him that just makes the book so juicy it's just like they they're so single-mindedly it's so different than a superhero book where it's just you know spider-man swinging along and dealing with other menace is dealt with this is just these people locked in a feud and other characters come in and out and there are great horror elements there's creepy stuff with kids in this oh, there's man. a motorcycle gang there's a classic 70s classics it's all the 70s stuff that was a weird issue where it's basically a dude in an iron lung using voodoo with a motorcycle gang working for him yeah so many layers and like he's in the iron lung but he can control these like metal arms yeah, in the, the which thing. is never really addressed you just kind of take it for face value yeah no I mean I'm, I'm familiar with the technology it's just, <laughs> it's, it was so weird and so I was like the, yeah that whole voodoo thing I was like okay great yeah and I can also I totally get after his introduction why Blade ended up being a hit because when you look at the other vampire hunters <laughs> in the book I mean they're fine but they're not really Blade just makes them so much looks makes them look so much less cool the minute oh, yeah. he comes in. Oh, He's yeah. just this like man of action, just like gonna go out and throw wooden knives at people. Meanwhile, you get this old dude in a wheelchair, this kind of wimpy Frank Drake guy. The old dude in the wheelchair who's like, everybody, 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 <laughs> look at my great new invention. It's a it's uh, a net. It's a gun with that shoots a net. Yeah. Woo. And there's, there's like, garlic in it. Yeah, there's garlic in the the balls Ugh. that weigh the net down, so, so they can't get away. And like he uses it twice to no effect. No effect. And not only that, he uses like he uses it against like bats. Yeah. Like he can't stop bats. You're not gonna stop Dracula, dude. 
bad news. But yeah, I mean, I would say arguably the coolest of the vampire hunters is Rachel Van Helsing. And even she is spectacularly incompetent. Like, she continually shoots this wooden stake out of a crossbow at Dracula, who even comments, he goes, you know I'm going to turn into mist every time you do this. Yeah. Why, why are you doing it? But this is all, like, as we, you know, kind of make fun of this, it's what makes the book so fun because it's just, it's, it's watching Dracula out with these guys. But back to my point is then Blade comes in and you're like, wow, Blade, this Blade guy might actually have a legitimate shot. Like, he might be able to do it, but... The, he, they intro Blade killing three vampires. Yeah, right away. Like, like this guy's no joke. Yeah, like, these other people are struggling to, like, fight off rats, and Blade <laughs> yeah. comes in and just stakes some vampires. Doesn't get Dracula, but, you know, Dracula is a tremendous badass in this. And it's like, as much as I know the the issue you're talking about, where basically he almost takes... He, he shows pity on this kid who's shown kindness to him and basically saves him... Uh, spares his life and offers you all this stuff from him is right after he just had that whole thing with that doctor who just wants to do good and he's like torturing him and making him do bad oh stuff God. because he vampirized him so long ago but man all the vampire stuff all that and I love the way that it's structured so every issue is a standalone but it's all part of this bigger narrative um, having read other Marv Wolfman stuff he's great at that type of thing where he'll lay down a seed and then pay it off six issues later or ten issues later or something like that but it's just kind of brewing in the background you don't need to worry about it gene colin's art is so terrifying and again one of the virtues of getting blade in here is that you get to see the horror stuff and the superhero stuff kind of come together a little bit like blade in the context of this book blade's basically a superhero because all the other vampire hunters they just have like gadgets and blade has a little more he's like a trained yeah there's guy. not much really said about him no but he's sort of like they're all like oh this guy he's next level yeah he's a little next level so it was cool so i i really enjoyed this i'm glad we did it for halloween um it was it was a fun pick i i can see myself going back and reading more tomb of dracula to be honest with you yeah the um the gene colon art is so perfect for the time yes it like like I remember watching, I, I wasn't around at this time, but like when I was a kid, watching like old horror movies, they looked like this. Yes, they had this this color palette, this sense of dread and foreboding, like just in the way they looked and the way they were paced and the way they felt. That this ties into that so well. And yeah, it's agreed. Like, it's so pitch perfect. Yeah. It's like he's, I think. He's lauded, but he's so underappreciated yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And these guys are just, you can see why they stuck around and why they ended up being so successful in this book. Um, something totally different. Yeah. Uh, the last issue that we read, number mm. 12, was like, there's a huge turn of events. Yes. And I was not expecting that. Like, yeah. that was, to me, I was like, holy crap. Like, that was really intense. Very, like, by the end, like, there's, it's just like, escalating and escalating and it's just like whoa yeah wait what just happened the interesting thing is i randomly found remember the marvel handbook we put out on vampires like five years ago sure all right so there's a vampire handbook we put out and so i just kept it around my house and i, I like read it cover to cover a few weeks ago um <laughs> i was just fascinated a whole because, handbook cover to cover yeah i mean it took me like three weeks to do it but like <laughs> the point is i got it done um it was just 
I was so fascinated by it because this is a realm of Marvel that I have no familiarity with. Yeah. And it, there's dozens and dozens of vampire characters. My point being, I knew that was going to happen because I read about that particular oh. character. But I had, instead of take, being taken aback by it, what happened to me was I was waiting for this to happen. It was like a friggin' sword hanging over. I was like, ooh. I know something bad's going to happen here. I wonder if it happens in this six issues. Right. I wonder if it happens down the line. So when it did happen, or basically every time that character showed up, I got freaked out because I was like, oh, God, I know it's going to happen. So it was good. Yeah. So just, um, yeah, well done. Good pick. I'm yes. glad we, we had this one. Yeah, very different. Uh, you guys had a lot to say about it as well. Nice. Let's dive right into that. Uh, first one is from an yeah. agent Coulson <laughs> who says, uh, is this the Agent Coulson? I don't think so. Because okay. the real Agent Coulson would, would, wouldn't be uh, harping on this. He said, uh, I should have, it should have been Robone Zone, not Robo Bone Zone. Uh, mm. I disagree yeah, because totally. I made it up. Yeah. So we're going with Robo Bone Zone. The innovator. Yeah. Uh, Chadwick, Chad Bad, says, Spending my evening with Dracula. Oh, terrifying. Uh, Chad, Chadwick, bro, what did you think? You gotta follow up. I wanna oh, know yeah. what you think. Yeah, but this next one's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Cop Heavy Camel Short G's says, Oh, what a rush. And uh, has a panel for uh, from where Dracula say, For now you must face my legions of doom. But I love that it's just a bunch of kids. I know. Oh, that was so uh, great. Yeah. Uh, do you say Road Warriors or Legion of Doom? I usually say Legion of Doom just because I watched them in WBF when I was a kid. Yeah. So I remember them as the Legion of Doom. I, I agree, but I tend to say road warriors now more because what i like now I, I picture them in my head mm-hmm. like nwa and like i've definitely territory. watched yeah i've watched more of them in the nwa and i also think didn't wwe induct them as the road warriors I hope into so. the hall of fame i think sense. they did no i mean they're in the hall of fame i just don't know if they were called the road warriors or the lod i don't remember mm-hmm. we'll have to look that up uh so cap heavy sticking with heavy the theme says blade looking like the godfather's mystery partner mm-hmm. you dig yeah, that was that was something you were wondering a lot about how people would react to uh, Blade's original costume. Oh, people man. seem to like it actually. You know what? There's a good comment that we'll get into at some point. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it more. Okay, uh, DJ Fanko yeah. says Dracula. This bites hashtag rimshot. Boo. Bats and rats and splats and a dude in a wheelchair mentoring vampire hunters. Yes, please. Yeah. It's poetry. It's beautiful. Oh, they were so close to getting Drac, but the more they tightened their grip, the more he slipped through their fingers. That was the other thing about this. I got so frustrated for them that I'm just like, oh, you guys cannot beat this guy. You've followed him as a weakened bat flapping around. You followed him where he's gone. You can't put him down. And that's the other thing is realizing that Tomb of Dracula is like 80 issues long. I was like, oh, my God, I kind of want to read more of this, but I don't know how much I can take of these people just being unable to beat this guy like you know it's not like reading x-men and they maybe have trouble with magneto but they ultimately defeat him like they never really they get little victories but they never really get a win over dracula which is kind of great but kind of frustrating too uh edith was wearing a crucifix dracula said he couldn't get closer but then he backhands her not cool hashtag rules are tools I think the whole thing, though, you got to remember, Dracula was in a church for a bit. It's not that he can't do anything. It's that it's just really uncomfortable for yeah. him. So he could do that. It probably just hurt him a lot after. It's like when you punch someone and you, like, break your hand. I've never done that. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of the same deal. Have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? No. I have no idea what that is. My, 
highest possible recommendation. Is this a horror movie of some sort? It's a documentary. Oh, okay. A mockumentary. A mockumentary. About vampires oh, boy. in New Zealand. Oh, that sounds like fun. I've watched it. I bought it on recommendation. I have no regrets. <laughs> it is one of the funniest movies I've seen in years. Okay. It is incredible, but like especially now having read this and like playing around with like the vampire stuff in your head yeah. I think you'll get a big kick out of it I okay. think it's on Netflix now too. what's it called? What We Do in the Shadows What We Do in the Shadows alright note taken uh, Quincy Harker's team of vampire hunters seem reminiscent of the X-Men and then there's a Tumblr post which as we have mentioned we can't see um, how are they reminiscent of the X-Men? Uh, I don't know maybe because it's just they're not even that Oh, hold on. DJ Fanko explains it. He says, not to be too obvious, but balding mentor in a wheelchair. He's not balding. He's like a full head of hair, doesn't he? I don't know. He's a ratty old dude. He is a ratty old dude. Uh, Balding mentor in a wheelchair. Check. Uniquely talented youth. Check. Sent out to battle. Yup. They're not really young, though. They're adults. Like Frank Drake and Rachel Van Helsing. They're they're grownups. They even have a beast. Saint, the dog. I like how uh, Quincy Harker says Saint's name like every time he yeah. shows up. He's like, Saint, don't do that. No, Saint, wait, Saint, 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 Saint. Um, yeah, I mean, he's wearing a hat. He's, he's definitely got hair. Yeah, he's got a beard. He's got hair. We're looking at him. He's wearing a great, he's, he's uh, great. scarf. Yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah, well, He's having right, no problems. Here he's got some balding. He's got like, Yeah, I mean, he's got a receding hairline more than he's balding. Yeah. I would say those are two different things. Sure. All right. Well, Dracula is the protagonist. I think Saint is the underappreciated hero of this series. Loyal, true, and brave. Oh, Quincy, bad move. Children aren't winked by garlic. It only amplifies their halitosis. Aww. Poor Quincy. Thankfully, Rachel Van Helsing was around. If not for her, the entire party would have been murdered by ensorcelled children. Five twin points for using ensorcelled. Yeah, great use of ensorcelled. Series did a great job managing different characters. Everybody seemed to have a great moment of their own. Oh my, Blade had a fantastic first issue besides his look, uh, despite his look being a product of the time. We're going to talk more about that later. He was chewing up every page he graced. Other vampire hunters looked like punks comparatively. This is basically what we said. Even Dracula acknowledged his badness as one of the few to take such a strident attitude. Hashtag Blade isn't impressed. Yeah. There's also a great moment in one of the, like, the second to last issue, I think, or the last issue, where Blade's, like, hanging out at home. Oh, yeah. His, his, his gal's around. His lady, Saffron. Saffron, yeah. yeah. She's like, hey, let's have a drink. And he's like, we got to go we gotta go out in half an hour. She's like, half an hour? We can get a lot done or something like that. Yeah. And it's great. Blade's just like, okay, baby. And then he's like, oh, phone call. Oh, I gotta go. Bye. Nope. Gotta go kill Dracula. <laughs> I'll be back. And she gets, she throws a knife at him. Yeah, she's like, she nearly kills him. That's Saffron. <laughs> oh, always, Saffron. Always, uh, James Bender says, can we do a Squadron Sinister story for a future Twim URC? They seem like good characters. I feel like we kind of got our Squadron Sinister on when we did Squadron Supreme. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Squadron Supreme on Twim URC. Uh, tweet me, ask me again, James, and I'll send you whatever yeah. episode that was from. Because I feel like Squadron Sinister really have not had a lot of no. stories of their own, but Squadron Supreme is very great. And then the Hyperion from Squadron Sinister is in there Yeah, for a good couple of issues. We should do Exiles with Hyperion. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, Jules Gamache says... Do you have a page on the site that lists all of the Twim URCs right. you have done and what episodes they were in? We keep promising to do this. I mean, I can, I can give you the list if you want to find a way to make it look cool. Yeah. All right. I have the I'll, list. I'll hand it. I'll hand it direct. You know what? This, this seems like a Patrick project to me. <laughs> this could be a great Wolfman project. Now <laughs> he's really stepping up his game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe him. 
Nolan Hitchcock says, uh, always thought the original Blade costume was weird, but seeing mm-hmm. it in context, though, drawn by Colin, it actually works. That's a good point. So that's the one that, like, yes. Colin I, makes it work. He makes it work, and it works in the story. Like, I think it gets a bad rap because he's got the glasses and, like, the colors and stuff, but on that cover yeah. is the first thing you see. When you actually see him moving around in it, seeing him doing badass stuff yeah he's got any you know he stores all this stuff in the jacket it's functional it works yeah i agree i seen someone else i think the other thing was if someone draws it today they're not going to take it seriously like when we see it in flashback and like issues of deadpool and stuff yeah it looks ridiculous but colin when he was drawing at the time you know drew a very true to life like this is what this guy would look like yeah and nolan says these stories have been fun but the gene colin artwork is the real star here he was so good yeah agreed Old Man Lash says, reading this week's Twim URCV is some classic UK reprints. Waits for a- Agent M to do his Brit impression. He's waiting. Hello. Oh, let's read some Dracula Lives, eh? This is uh, Dracula Lives. I can't read the issue number, but the child slayers of the man. <laughs> Twim URC, forget Buffy and the Scooby Gander. These look a lot better. <laughs> I don't know how much longer. All right, let me tell you over here. Uh, we got Dracula hypnotizing a bunch of kids playing footy is a bit creepy. Oh, footy. Were they playing footy? You want to play a bit of footy? I thought they were playing cricket or stickball. No. No. He would know that if all. they're playing footy. He knows. He knows. Yeah. These are great. Even got an article about our glorious leader in London, and this is this great Stan Lee in London article that apparently was in Dracula Lives. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's amazing. All right, Penelope Cat. Super excited that this week's Tomb RC collect- selection is Tomb of Dracula 7 through 12. I've been looking for an excuse to read Tomb of Dracula for years. I first became a fan of Wolfman's work at another company, I hear ya, and loved a horror stories he did there with Colin in the 80s. That's right. They did another book together hmm. after they were done with Tomb of Dracula. I'll talk to you about it after this show. Sure, I don't know what it is. Um, that particular series from the other company was the most intense horror story I had read up to that point in my life. Later, I read about Tomb of Dracula in Amazing Heroes magazine. I love their descriptions of Wolf- Wolfman's novel-length stories. In high school, I decided I would work on collecting the entire run, but I never got very far. High school budgets. I did buy all the essentials books. Haven't read them all. Hashtag sidetracked. Hashtag not enough time. I did read the epic miniseries revival, but always meant to read the classic. Now I'm motivated to get to work on the original. What's the epic miniseries? I think that just when Epic was running as a... 80s Epic? Yeah, I think 80s Epic had a Tomb Mm. of Dracula series because this one ended in the early 80s. Didn't have a chance to comment on issue 7 and 8. Going to start talking about issue 9 and then go back when I have time. Issue 9, love the juxtaposition of Dracula, talking about finding an elixir to heal him compared to the images of the reality. Yeah, that was cool. Oh, yeah. Where he's describing to the townspeople like, oh, yeah, I got sick and I took some medicine. It's really flashbacks of him drinking people's blood and terrorizing people and it's awful. This issue added layers on complexity of Dracula, showing that he really could carry his own series. He's not just a hunted target. Clearly, the book wouldn't have lasted 70-plus issues if it had just been about who Dracula was going to kill each month. Wouldn't it, though? No, probably not. (laughs) Um, Amos Straunch, Night Watchman, has the best name I've read all day. Yeah, without a doubt. Best name I've read all week. Always interesting to see the first appearance of a major character, Glad Blade ditched the green jacket. Information about Blade seems sparse. How did he know to find Dracula on the ship? Even I wasn't sure what he was doing there. Um, you know, he's got the Blade phone. Someone calls yeah. the Blade hotline. He's got a lot of tips, a lot of informants, a lot of things like that. Blade's a guy in the know. Blade, Don't worry about Blade it. knows people. Don't worry about it. Issue 11. 
What happened to my henchman? Oh, yeah, I left him to die on the ship I blew up. Swip, <laughs> slipped my mind. Hashtag, what a D-bag. That was one of my favorite moments. I mean, he was terrible to him throughout oh, those yeah. first couple of issues. But, I mean, from all we know about Dracula, that's kind of his thing, right? Yeah. He's not really good to his He's hired help. He's not a people person. He's not a people person. He doesn't need to be. He's Dracula. Yeah. Reynaldo says, Loving the tropes of the supernatural verse constantly abused graves, Drac's dog's body, and the silent but strong manservant Taj. Taj. Yeah. Those I are like all Taj. classic things. Yeah. I feel like Taj would probably meet a gruesome end at some point. Again, having read uh, the vampire thing, yeah. Oh, you got to tell me. I want to know. I'll, I'll tell you after. Tell us all. Tell us all. Uh, pretty much everyone in the vampire group eventually gets turned into a vampire yes. by Dracula. Like, he's just relentless. Taj ends up having, it turns out that he has a son who's a vampire. Like, he has a son who was, like, made a vampire when he was a baby. And that's the reason he does all this. And his son is, like kept alive back in some village so he goes back and the villagers find out about his son and they they stake him and Taj gets all disheartened so he goes for like an all out strike against Dracula and he ends up dying and Dracula brings him back as a vampire oh. same thing happens to like something happens to Rachel Van Helsing she gets turned into a vampire Dang. she fights the X-Men uh, Frank Drake's the only one who just stays human does, forms the Night Stalkers with Blade <laughs> and Hannibal King but gets yeah. played by Ryan Reynolds. Gets played by Ryan Reynolds. Was he Frank Drake? No, he was no. Hannibal King. Oh. Frank there's Drake. No Hannibal King in here. Uh, I think he shows up later. Uh. I think he, he shows up down the line. Mm. But yeah, no, nothing good happens to any of these people. Quincy Harker like blows up his wheelchair trying to kill Dracula. Like literally sets an explosive in his wheelchair. I think that's the final issue. Jeez. He blows him up, but eventually Dracula comes back. Dracula's like, what was that? You dumb, oh, dumb. You idiot. Uh. What is this? <laughs> it blew up and turned into a net. Not really. Oh. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, all right. Last comment of the week. We've got Zach Ritzman saying, I was just joking about what about that Blade appearance being a costume for Blade and Marvel Heroes. Wish I could rock it. Hashtag Blade's Winter Wardrobe. That's right. Blade just came out in Marvel Heroes last week, and you can get both his modern day costume and his original costume. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Get all the Blade you can. Yeah. Blade is everywhere. Gosh. All right. That was a good one. That was a good Twin yeah. RC. It's your turn, Mr. Penagos. Yep. I'm going uh, easy this week. Uh, and I figure we've got this uh, little movie coming up called The Star Wars. Mm. Uh, we keep talking about it. So let's dive right into uh, Tag and Bank. Oh, yeah. We'll Tag and Bank. Tag both. and Bank. I think they're both on there. Yeah. Both limited it, series. Like four it's issues. Like four issues total. Yeah, that's easy. So it's going to be super easy. Beautiful. It's a lot of fun. Um, it has no... I, as far as we know, no consequence or relation to anything. Yet. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it's out of continuity at this point, I guess. Yeah. But I think it was... You guys will read it. We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's talk about it next time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's not the only Star Wars we do by the end of the year. Yeah, there we go. Cool. Cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week because I'm not really here much. It's probably going to be me and somebody else. So look forward to that. This is Marvel. We are universe.